Good afternoon. Thank you all for coming to what is the only thing stopping you going for dinner. In no sane world should we be doing programming at six o'clock in the evening, but since we are, uh, we've gone to some trouble to bring together what I think is a very informed, interesting, and exciting group of people to talk about a topic that I would best synopsize as an academic shit fight. <laughs> I suspect there's almost no chance that we'll get anything coherent, clear, or final by the end of it. Like that. <laughs> However, it'll, it should be interesting and intriguing and, potential, and worth listening to. My name is Jonathan Strahan, and I work for Locus Magazine and edit books. I am here with a wonderful panel. Going down to my right, we have Yanni Kuznia, the director of production at Subterranean Press. Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize-winning Prize critic and author Michael Dierda. Hugo Award-winning and all-round polymath of an editor of the Science Fiction Encyclopedia of Science Fiction and Critic, the great John Clute. <laughs> my friend Gary. <laughs> <laughs> we know why he's on this panel. <laughs> and on, on the far end, but by no means the least, the least of us, that would be my friend Gary, um, is, is uh, Ron Yaniv, who is a, a, an editor of science fiction and fantasy who's come from Israel to be at the convention. Wow. What we're gathered here to discuss, this topic that is this academically unclear event, is the fantasy canon. What it is, whether it's changed, and what books might go into it that haven't previously. I had a quick look to try and see if there was any clear description of what a canon was, other than a, you know, a, a firearm. And really, there's not a really good description that I could come up with, other than a collection or list of sacred books accepted as genuine. That seems a little bit, you know, highfalutin. So what I might just start off by saying is, right, go down the panel from left to right and just ask you to give me a quick idea of what you think canon is. Because we're not going to discuss what fantasy is because that makes an academic ship fight look simple. So, Yanni, what's your view of canon? Uh, well, for me, canon is the books that are influencing today's writers. Okay. Michael. Um, may give a different. Can, the canon are the books that are taught in courses in English classes and things like that. Uh, that's one, actually, one form of canon. But uh, the canon are the books that we continue to find useful as thinkers, writers, uh, people. Yeah, I think I go along with both of these definitions. I, I think the after the obvious um, criterion that we attempt when we create canon, we create canon constantly. Canon is not a, not a, not a fixed kind of form. Um, when, we, when we attempt to create canon, obviously we attempt to think in terms of the quality variously deposed of the book, but the essence of a canon is that the book has to be listened to. The books that are listened to are, are, are canonical at a particular time. Well, Michael has already um, invoked academia, which is a field I'm guilty of, so I will uh, modify his version. I'm going to agree with bo what both Michael and John said, that, except that canon, I think, are books that continue to be read whether or not anyone tells you you should read them. Unfortunately, being the last one, uh, I have nothing uh, new to add because uh, all my uh, colleagues said uh, uh, great things, and I have to, to agree th with them. I'm curious, how do you all think a book becomes canonical? When does it become canonical? Because, I mean, there's this idea of these, these, whole, these useful texts, these excellent texts, these holy texts of the field, that, you know, when do they become canonical? Ten minutes after they're published? Six months, ten years, thirty years, fifty years, a hundred years. Do you want us to go in order or just jump in? Uh, let's go in order at the moment. Okay. But we'll turn it around and jump in from there on. Well, it, I, based on my definition of canon, I obviously think it depends on the book. There are books that are instant canon, and then there are books that 
you know, you don't realize how important they've been until they've influenced two or three generations of writers. And then, as Gary said, people continue to go back to them, uh, whether they're told to that they should or not. I think, I guess it would be hard to recognize a canonical book right away mm-hmm. because the idea that it's going to influence other books, I think, is important, that it has it's some, in some ways a, a, a blueprint book, a template. It's, uh, it's, it embodies uh, forces that will be released over time, and you need to have time to see that. It's, in a way, it's another way of looking at what classics. They used to say a classic, you had to wait 100 years to know what a classic was. Um, but that the uh, you know there are, there are certain books seem you know, I think canonical be, if, uh, right away because they are usually so strange or so different from anything else that we find that they've they've, they've explored new territory that we can uh, we never thought of and that we will we want to go into further you know f- from now on so um, I would you know I, I haven't answered exactly but that's what I think yeah I think. I think what's missing from any comfortable definition of canon is anything even remotely um, describable as a consensus culture to provide the definition. Um, There is no French Academy of of the whole field of fantastica or or of fantasy or of science fiction. There are various sets of criteria which we use. We intermix Consistently or inconsistently, we use award lists, we use reading lists generated by academics, we use popularity, we use um, the length of time in print, we use um, attempts by critics to discern what books are, were, continue to be influential. But all of these um, attempts at creating canon are done as it were, in a, in a cultural sense, rather ad hoc. There is, there is no voice. We don't, we don't, perhaps we don't want a voice. Perhaps canons should be stabs in the dark, as it were. Or perhaps we do want more of a voice where a canon can give us a kind of consistent spine through time of, of associated texts that change with time. And that would be my ideal not having a French Academy, but having some sense of consensus. But I don't think we're going to get it, frankly. Do we want it? Um, the, well, I was half and half. Yeah. Here's an example. I've been working with an organization, a publisher called the Library of America, which has been described as something establishing a canon of American literature and knowing the publisher and the editors there. That is not what they're trying to do. What they're trying to do is discover the canon of American literature. And the canon of American literature may not be the same as the canon of mystery fiction or the canon of science fiction. There are, in other words, there are multiple canons. Uh, and what canon you want to uncover is still, I think, a process not of creation but of discovery. And the best we could hope to do at this panel tonight, I think, might be to discover different kinds of canons. But I, I would not want to be held responsible at gunpoint for having created a canon because somebody will get a real canon and I'll be in serious trouble. Well, if uh, we uh, define a, a, a canon by uh, new authors and uh, new works and books that are uh, relating to, to the canon, the canon is something like... Uh, a closed circle, because uh, once uh, new books are uh, influenced by uh, canonic uh, books, they uh, remain canonic, even bigger, and uh, they influence more authors, and it's become uh, more canonic. And uh, sometimes when, it, when you look at a closed circle, you don't know where it starts and when it ends. So it's really difficult to put a finger and uh, say when... Uh, literature uh, when a book becomes canonical but uh, you have to have uh, a few a few years afterwards in order to to see that I'm curious what the panel thinks about the idea of popularity being important to canon there's a lot of you know there's no there's no clear definition of what canon really is uh, you know, John made the point that there's no academy that issues a certificate that, that says you are now canonical, well done. 
<laughs> so people tend to, when they think about canon, they talk from a, often from a personal point of view, wor uh, works they love the most. They talk about works they're most familiar with, in some cases, works that have sold the best. Is popularity an important characteristic, or can a, a, a work enter the canon simply by being sufficiently influential within amongst the writing community that it, that it deserves that, distinct, that description? What um, really, really popular books aren't necessarily listened to in any creative sense, yeah. um, just to be elitist about it. Mm. And that may in itself be, um, may suggest that popularity is, although it may be a criterion, it really can't be a governing criterion. Yanni? Well, I think you can't discount popular books. You absolutely cannot, because if you do, you're discounting most of what's written. Um, uh, that's exactly what one wishes to do of a with you're, your creative like, camera. It is, but if you say, this tastes good, it can't be good for me, that's bullshit. Well, that's an argument about the popularity of books, which I, I, I don't actually accept, that they, that they taste good. <laughs> I think they're wonderful, and I love putting ketchup on them. Yeah, well, I... <laughs> We'll talk later about the ketchup. Well, I mean, this, is why, this is why I'm insisting there are multiple canons. If you were to create a canon of mid-century American publishing, probably novels like Peyton Place would be on it. If you were to create a, a, a canon of uh, cultural forces in the post-2000 era, you could easily find a way to include Fifty Shades of Grey on that. If you were creating a canon of significant erotic literature, uh, over the past 2,000 years, I kind of doubt that E.L. James would make that canon. I would, yeah. I would agree with that, absolutely. Well, I think the... I, I, I wrote a book called uh, Classics for Pleasure, which had its origin when the editor at Harcourt Brace, who had been a, um, a gopher for Clifton Fadiman when he first started out in publishing, that is, the, the editor, um, wanted to do an expanded version of Fadiman's The Lifetime Reading Plan, a canon of 100 books that everyone should read. And he wanted me to do a kind of updated version. And I said, no, but I would write about books that weren't covered in that first 100 books. It's like, you know, Shakespeare I still thought was in the canon, but that uh, were less expected uh, important books in the way we thought about ourselves. And so I wanted to mix canonical books with genre classics, so that, um, uh, you know, I would write about Sappho, but I would also write about Georgette Heyer's Regency romances, and uh, I'd include H.P. Lovecraft as an important figure in the way we think about ourselves and as writers or readers or what have you. So that there was an attempt to expand the canon, and some of you probably have connections with the university. Remember the, the canon wars that have been going on mm. off and on for the last 30 years, that the, the, the canon had become too narrow, had become too focused on writers that didn't seem quite as important to us as they might have once. The other question is whether the canon has now, be, I think, become too, too fashionable, you know, too contemporary-driven and has sort of lost some perspectives. But that's another matter. I think the, the crucial issue about the, about the reason we have canons is that our in some ways, is that we have limited time to read. We can only read a certain number of books. And so people are constantly trying to figure out what are the books we really must read, what really are most useful to us in a large sense. That there are problems with that argument, too, and I'm sure John will make them. Uh, but uh, <laughs> one of the others. But those are some other thoughts. Um, I, th I think what Michael is also saying, and, and didn't exactly say it because he was saying something slightly different, was that any canon is a form of argument. It is, exactly. not, yeah. it is not an establishment. It is not a thing which exists um, in any, in any um, layer, level of reality, in which, in which is stable, which is accolade, the accolade of a canon does not end the argument. It is part of an argument. There is, there is never any canon that is not irradiated with choices, yes and no, then and now. Um, why, why this? Why not that? Canons have a specious calm to them when you look at a list of books. But there's a lot of blood there, and there always will be, and mm. there always should be. Um, a lot of casualties 
um, lie around the, the um, battlefield of cannon formation. I'm curious, can a work become canonical if it doesn't have the right kind of influence? I mean, can you have a, po a popular book that you don't think is of necessarily great literary merit that influences a lot of other works that are of not great literary merit based on some assessment? Oh. I mean, is influence enough of a key to get you in? No, it's, I think, oh, really? I think it, has, it has to be listened to. It has to be heard, but I don't think it's the well, only thing. What do you mean by heard? Clarify for me. Oh, that's a metaphor. Um, oh. <laughs> a book has to be heard. In other words, other people have to have read the book. Other people have to be aware of the book. Other people have to speak about the book. Other people have to be... Their, their own stories have to, as it were, be conscious of that book. Yeah. You know, it, it, a canon, there, there cannot be a canonical book that has not... As I, nobody has ever heard of, except one person rightly says this is a very great book. That cannot be a canonical book. I go back to my idea yeah. of, of multiple canons, though, and I'm trying to think of an example uh, of... Well, one example that comes to mind is in a science fiction field is something like uh, The Skylark of Space, which was enormously influential. It created an enormously influential genre. Most of the subsequent books in that genre, if, or many of them, okay, maybe not most... Were, were superior to the Skylark in space. Edmund Hamilton was actually a better space opera writer than E.E. E. Smith was. And certainly by the time you get to Alastair Reynolds, or by the time you get to Ian Banks, you're in a much more sophisticated form. Now the question is, does, is that original book canonical? Because it was clearly influential, but it's not very good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, it is. <laughs> okay. No, I think, yeah. <laughs> okay. He, he says it's okay, so share with the class. Well, you were but keeping that, score. Put this one in the clue column. Um, but I think you know the, the question is over. I guess over time, will Ian Banks replace E. E. Smith when we want we think about space opera, or will we still always go back to E. E. Smith when we th think about space opera? So well, if, we're, if we're trying to illustrate. A succession, if we're having a spinal cord through time, E.E. E. Smith, whether it's Skylark or Lensman, is going to be a canonical text mm -hmm. in, in, the, in, in the sense that it is part of the, of the texture, the argument, the progression or regression of a, particular, of a particular part of the overall enterprise. And any, kind of, any canon which has attempts to present an historical um, narrative of that spinal cord is going to include books whose quality may not be as evident now than it was or than it, thought, than they, than it was thought mm. to be 50 years ago. But that is not the only criterion. If it were the only criterion, then we would be going in the direction of treating a canon as solely a monitor of quality of text, and that cannot be enough. Canon so, has to be heard. A canon has to be part of something which, so which is part. So we do seem becoming that we 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 we're, have, we're going to have books that are not as good as other books yes. in the canon. Yes, we indeed we are. Are, okay. are we looking at canon in terms of these books are the mitochondrial Eve of the genre? Yeah. Is that what we're looking at as well, canon? That's because that if a, that if changes. A, if, yeah, if you have a, if you have canon as being an historical narrative not just a narrative of the canonic well, books of 2010. That's one kind of canon. The, can the right, canonic right. books of the history of a particular form of literature, that's a different kind of but, canon. But, that, mm. but if, we, if we treat it like it's a mitochondrial Eve, there's necessity... That makes it so that it continually moves forward. Yeah. Canon, instead of moving backwards, instead of looking further and further back, you're looking further and further forward. And canon begins further and further forward. Um, I don't know. I mean, a, 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 doesn't horizontal, that imply that stuff is dropping out of the canon? canon things have to drop out. Sorry. Yeah. I, would, I would respond to that by sort of pointing out what John and Michael were talking about with Skylark of Space and mm -hmm. the culture books, right? A, an old book doesn't have to drop out, stop being read, and be, stop being canon just because time has passed. I, I think, I mean, you're right to say that I think that canon is forward-looking. It's bringing more stuff in. But it's closed at the back. I mean, you're not getting pushed out. You stay in the canon. The canon gets bigger oh, and bigger. Oh, no, absolutely. Well, no, you have to get pushed back. I mean, okay, to look at another, look at another uh, medium, Jaws. Jaws was amazing. It changed. Talking about the movie or the book? The movie. 
the movie. It changed, it changed the way that, that people approached horror films. People who go back and look at it now, it's laughable. It's, it's largely obsolete because it has become so integrated into the current movie themes and into the current filming styles that if you go back, you say, I've already seen this. This is nothing new. This isn't helping me. This isn't teaching me anything. But, 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 can, but canons are not no. constructed for people who are not willing to attempt to understand yes. book, books, movies in the context of their creation. Canons are arguments about context. They are saying that Jaws, if you, if you look at Jaws in the frame of the, under, the canonical understanding of its location and its significance, then because we are clever viewers, we can see Jaws and have a similar kind of understanding that the original viewers had, plus all of the, uh, of the accretions that time have applied, have subtracted from our appreciation of Jaws. We cannot abandon books, movies of the past because we have outdated them. This is what I was trying to suggest with the, the words blueprint and template and you know, sort, of, uh, sort of resources that we go back to. They have, they've, they've generated a lot of things and we, only un we can understand better uh, the, the, the later books when we understand the original founding father or founding mother of this particular series of books. I'd like to emphasize something that uh, John said that it uh, resonates with uh, what Yanis uh, said that uh, there is a subtitle to the, uh, the, ti the title, the fantasy canon, there is a subtitle to it. Whether it's uh, an historic uh, canon or a contemporary, uh, contemporary canon. And uh, if it's historic, well, uh, John is right. You have to uh, include the, the, the first book or the older books. But if you're looking on, on current works, uh, which might be better, uh, then uh, you can uh, delete the older books and refer only to the much newer, much better, much uh, representative work. I'd say I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Unless that older book happens still to be read. But right? that, would, no. that would incorporate it as a book across yeah, yeah. the horizontal slice think, uh, the, the, for the 2010 book. And, and I would argue that it goes back to it, that's still It's still uh, being read because it's, uh, maybe it's on the canon. Okay, I'm going to just do something. The programmer is here, is shaking his head in disgust. What's bothering you, Peter Hallis? Oh, not us. <laughs> <laughs> is that no. what you're upset about? <laughs> Either you create a canon or you uncover it. Which is, if you uncover, then not by necessity do you have to include the progenitor. Uh, the progenitor of an epic poem might have been a scatological didn't. But you don't go back to this, you go back to it's, that's true. That's why I'm, I'm arguing that a canon is not a required reading list. I mean, this, uh, Michael mentioned academia, and there is a problem in academia because you have students and you can only make them read so many things. And the, 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 the political sensitivity that comes into this is when you make a decision that, okay, we have to drop the red badge of courage so we can make room for the house on Mango Street. Is that a good or a bad thing? In actual reading, it doesn't make much difference. If I'm teaching a science fiction course, I might teach an Ian Banks novel, I might teach an Anne Leckie novel, but I probably wouldn't teach the Skylark of Space, but I would still expect the students to learn about that if they want to learn about the history of these things. In other words, a canon I don't think is finite, and I don't think it should be finite, and I think the canons that we're talking about have probably changed a lot since this panel began, and it's going out there in the world, and we don't know about it. Do you think we can coherently describe a canon of modern 20th century fantasy? And can we, as a group of six people talking about the subject, agree on that? We may not, we may yeah. not agree, but we can certainly attempt. That's a legitimate well, attempt. That's, that's the horizontal yeah. canon well, that we... And, and, yes. and you're well, making Peter happy legitimate. by asking. Yeah. It's a legitimate <laughs> attempt. So there's a certain we are, we census call. Yeah. That, was, that, was, that was the horizontal of the vertical yeah, as it works out. And I don't see any well, consistency I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, in a you know, very simple way, I think we could probably come to a consensus about a, a, a fair number of fantasy classics of the 20, 20th century that are influential. But we can influential. say classics aren't 
canon. Well, no. Well, I've just used the word. Okay, canonical titles. Classics are, are in some ways are. I use them interchangeably. They are they are something of the same. Uh, there will be books that we disagree on, and there will uh, uh, books that some people will put in, and others might might not uh, want. But you know, people will say, okay, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's definitely a canonical title. Uh, we can agree on that. And then you might then you might say, well, is um, are, are Arthur Mackin's supernatural stories canonical titles? I would say yes, but you might say no. Apparently. Well, but there are going to, there's still going to be a number of books in common. I, I would expect there would be overla- a significant it's amount of overlap. overlap. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and I suspect, for what it's worth, that the great controversy, the part of the topic of this panel that would actually be difficult to discuss, is the change over time and the modern books that have been added. You know, I suspect, though I wouldn't put words in anyone's mouth, that we could go down the, the, the panel and, and agree on the first eight or ten titles without too much trouble. I mean, whether we like them or not, I mean, like The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, mm. yeah. it's canonical fantasy. Mm-hmm. Gorman Gast by Mervyn Peake, canonical mm-hmm. fantasy, I would say. Okay. You know, but is there a point where you turn around and say 1970, well, the 1970s, where epic fantasy changes the face of commercial books, and that second generation of books that came after Tolkien comes along, is it then that much harder to agree on what's canonical? Are you saying the closer we approach to the yeah, present, yeah, it becomes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would think it would be yeah, pretty much yeah. clear mm-hmm. that it would be get more and more difficult to agree on any titles as we get closer yeah. to the present. So be like Terry Brooks' The Sword of Shannara is historically significant. Is but it the kind of book that would be canonical? Once, once again, I think we are conflating the two. I, I, was, I was making a, at least an arbit or at least a theoretical distinction between two kinds of canonical argument. And I also suggested that, it's a, that these are arguments, which means corpses are strewn. Um, but there, I think there is a spinal cord argument that can be applied to canon making, that one can create a canon which represents a significant history of, of a genre, the significant moments as exemplified in text, which were thought of the time to be significant, which were influential, and which we understand to be significant. But if we do the horizontal game, which is also an interesting one, in which there's also a lot of corpses, then, then you are in a, in a position where you are making a series of arguments, certainly if you're anything we're near the present, in which argument probably dominates over consensus. And it's interesting to do that. And the, the sort of the ideal type of the canon as something which, is, which we resolve and end up at is probably not reachable. It's an asymptote. Canon, mm. Think of that canon as a certainly horizontal canon as an asymptote that it's never, never it that reached. Way. I always think of it that way. <laughs> you, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so that asymptote is worth arguing over. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but that defines canon slightly differently from the, 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 as it were, lazy way I tended to think about canon before I came to this panel as something which was established, achieved. I don't think you achieve canon. You achieve close to canon. The books fight among themselves. <laughs> In a dark room. It's kind of a bibliophantasy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, another question which, which Jonathan has, has raised, which is related to this, and, and you've already raised it again, Michael, when you mentioned Arthur, Arthur Mackin's stories, because you did mention a story, you mentioned stories. So do we have canonical authors for whom we cannot identify a single individual canonical work? Okay, we have the okay. audience agree. Okay. <laughs> My own answer, Gary, is that would be, I think we do, but I'm not sure it's within the scope of what we're trying to discuss in 65 night minutes. Okay, so canon is only individual works, that's what they're talking about. A little. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, why not? Or, or, or at least okay, all right. okay. 60 minutes, make it, make it individual works, I think. Michael? It's an individual. It's a single narrative. It's one work. Yeah, yeah. it's one work. Publishers' accidents do not concern us at this elevated table. <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I mean, you could pick a story by Mackin, but sort of the, the, the yeah. whole is larger than any individual work. That's what I mean about the influence yeah. of writers like that. Is that it's much more pervasive. I mean, um, it, it relates back to your academic question about canons. I always, I always worry about the canon for you know, 
formations such, such as exists in academia, that there's a, an unfair advantage to shorter books because teachers can only teach a certain mm -hmm. number of books, and so they knock out the longer books, which, if, and, and if people don't read them in, in college, a lot of times they don't get read at all. And so you start, you start having a very artificial kind of influence on the kind mm -hmm. of books that people are actually reading from generation to generation. And we have the momentum of the given. Once a canon is established academically, then publishers publish that particular title because that title is going to be taught, and therefore that title is available, and therefore that title is more easily perceivable mm -hmm. as canon, canonical in the future. There, there, there's, a, there's a huge amount of indeterminacy and, 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 and conditioning in any kind of formation of this sort. But can the, mm. conte the contemporary fantasy canon exist outside the strictures of academia? Does that have to be a factor that we're taking into account when you try and work out if a work is, is, is canonical? Well, then um, we get the problem of who's, who's saying it is because we don't, have, we don't have a consensus culture. Well, right now... Yeah. We, don't, yeah. we don't have a committee of the whole. We're, 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 we're not like that. We haven't achieved that. I think it's more interesting well, to do well, a hey, historical one, don't you? Just for the yeah. sake, we, yeah. I, I said we weren't going to do this, and I, I yeah. don't want to drive Peter Harless crazy, but to go down the panel, I'm, I'm, in fact, to start down at Ron's end, to be really unfair, because he's sitting quietly at the end there. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, I'm going to suggest name one canonical work each coming up the panel, and then see if we have some kind of consensus on those works for 20th century fantasy. Um, Earthsea by Le Guin. You took mine. Are we supposed to agree or disagree? <laughs> no, no, that's the privilege of being we've first. Got a Wizard of Earthsea. Okay. Wizard of Earthsea. The Book of the New Sun by Gene Wolfe. That's, that's not, that's a hundred novels. It's, no, the Book of the New Sun is one four-volume okay. novel. One four, it is one yeah. four-volume novel, which is the first okay. novel in a series of four four-volume right. novels, one of which has three volumes. Okay, that's enough. So, anyway, John, John. I'm bewildered at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to skip because those are my first two choices at the moment. I'll come back. Okay. So are we I'll supposed to pick living writers? Is no, no. One, one book that would be part of the 20th century fantasy canon. Blood in the Mist. By Hope and Release, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I was going to say Little Big, I might as well say it now. I okay. think you would, that's why I was, you know, I yeah. picked one. I didn't want Thank to take Little Big Thank from you. you. I'd, 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 no? for, yeah. I'd forgotten my name. <laughs> Yanni? Oh, uh, The Last Unicorn. Okay. Yes. And I would probably add The Wolves of Willoughby Chase by Joan Aiken. Oh. Oh. Which gives us an array. Although of, well, I would argue this is one sort of like the Arthur Mackin one that the whole sequence is larger than any individual. I, I novel. think that there's, there's there's merit in that absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, but what, what you immediately see, you've got an array of books. You've got children's fantasies. Mm -hmm. You've got strange standalone. I mean, like when I think about fantasy, you talk about influence. It was Blood in the Mist, a book that's not widely read today anywhere. Mm -hmm. Was that an influential? Uh, Egypt, is that a book that, as brilliant as it is, we didn't does it have, or it's a little big, do, mm. did it influence work after it? I'm, I'm curious what, what, what you think. Mm -hmm. Or are we, uh, yeah. Michael? Well, I think Love in the Mist because, um, in part because I'm, I'm you know, in the, in the sense that I'm arguing for a canon. It is a book I believe belongs in the canon. It is a book where the, the heroes are dumpy middle-aged guys for the most part. And this is a, an approach to the idea of a fantasy novel which was really quite original and I think is still potent. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a book that should be better known and I think that people who do read it find that it is important to them and it does influence the way they think about the nature of fantasy and fantasy writing. One can say that for the first 45 or 50 years of its existence, it was not canonical. It was a, it was a great novel, it was a marvelous novel, but nobody had read it. And then mm -hmm. Lynn Carter republished it in the, the um, Discoveries Valentine. of Fantasy and Valentine. And slowly but surely, it began to influence a wide range of writers. How many other people read it, it's hard to say, but... 
I think the Voyage to Arcturus would yeah, be yeah. the um, the Voyage Arcturus, the same kind of thing, absolutely not canonical in the way we have to define canonical for 50 years, and then it beca begins mm. to become canonical. Well, I'll try a, a second yeah. exp experiment, mm. if you'd let me. Yeah. Let's go back to the end and do it again. Could we agree on a next six? Ron? C.S. Lewis? Okay. Oh. You've got to pick one. You've got to pick a book uh, or... Uh, well, you, well, I assume, you, okay, I assume you mean the Chronicles of Narnia. The Narnia. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to try something which is a little weird because it might change the discussion, but I could think I could defend it. The Crystal Cave. Oh, yeah. By Mary Stewart, yes. yeah. And um, that just obviously brings up the once and future king. Yes, it does. Which I'd <laughs> thought of the first time, but didn't say it in time. The once and future king, I would, I would put down. I would say, um, I don't know, maybe it's Lord Dunsany. I would pick uh, all the stories, but I guess if I had to pick one, I'd say The Gods of Pagano. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, a Wrinkle in Time. Okay. And I'll stop and say what interests me about this as we're talking about some kind of 20th century canon is the first five things I would have thought to put in the canon haven't been mentioned as part of this, as we've gone up and down the panel. Uh -huh. I didn't want to, to waste my vote. All right, Jonathan, tell us. Well, no, 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 it's not for me to tell. I'm just the moderator on this. No, thing. you have to tell us. You've tantalized us. No, what are these I would have thought the Lord of the Rings would have been on it. I would have thought Gormgast would be on it. I think we already mentioned those. But wouldn't also Robert E. Howard be on it? Conan. It, it, I mean, whether we like to read them or not. No, I, and I, I recognize there's go. a difference between what I prefer and... Yeah, I oh, know you uh -huh. do. If, 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 we, if we relate to the program that says uh, 20 books, then we have to uh, limit ourselves in, in one way or the other because uh, the fantasy canon is more than 20 books. Mm. So uh, we, we have to take out a few books, and the books that we take out are even uh, might be more important than the, the books that we, we put uh, on the list. But we have to make uh, to draw the line somewhere. Okay. Well, I think your your point, Howard comes into what we might say the Arthur Mackin syndrome, mm -hmm. where there's not really any single book. You're thinking just Conan books, basically. And the same would be Lovecraft with uh, the Lovecraft Cthulhu mythos, the other one. Yeah. who would be, I mean, found you know, primarily influential, still widely read. Yeah. But you can't say, well, it's the Outsiders and others is the book. Yeah, we had arbitrarily decided to take single single. Yeah. No, that, that was we knew that was arbitrary. Right. Yeah, that was that was that was that was your five? restriction. Yeah. yeah. And do I have to still put up something that, yeah. that, that, that's more? Yeah, what are the other three sorry, on your list? You, you said five. I, I did mention them all. Uh, sorry, Lord of the Rings, Gormenghast, uh, oh, the, the Conan books, the Cthulhu Mythos, and Joe Nakin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Joe Nakin was was the buzz mentioned. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> sorry, what? What is the influence of time on canonization? That's a... We've sort of touched on a bit already. We've talked but about it, 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 it is a natural thing, I think. I mean, it's sort of books... Mm -hmm. It comes out where they're still read and discussed. Well, for example... Well, in the case of the ones we've talked about, uh, the, the Lindsay and the Murleys, there's <coughs> something different happening. What brought them back? Why did they mm. reemerge after a period <coughs> of... Of, uh, you know, being ignored or relatively yeah. ignored. And, and and some of this does involve uh, archaeology. It involves literary excavations. If you start looking at uh, who, it's not just a matter of books continuing to be read. It's continuing to be read by whom. You mentioned a voyage to Arcturus, which it's it, it's amazing. When I started, I did part of my dissertation on that. Almost every fantasy and science fiction writer I ever met had read that, and almost all of them thought they were the only one who had read it. Uh, so there's not a lot of discussion about it. Uh, if you look at the current tradition of tricksterism and fantasy, almost everyone writing in that tradition can trace something back to Fofford and the Grey Mouser and Fritz Leiber. Uh, so sometimes you need to watch this sort of um, diffusion of influence over a period of decades in order to realize how... Uh, truly influential book is. It occurs to me as well that we've got a very well-read group of people here on the panel, and many of you read stuff that's really quite 
recent. Do you have, and yes or no is fine, uh, a book that you think is likely to become canonical that we, don't, we, we can't say it has or not yet in, in mind? Because we're talking about how the, the fantasy canon has changed. Mm. Are there kinds of books that have changed? I mean, once upon a time, you know, sort of a minute ago we were talking about the Cthulhu mythos, which is a clutch of stories. Today you could come up with a, a fantasy work that is a clutch of novels, in fact, mm. where you have four or five... I mean, I assume a Game of Thrones may become, become canonical. It's certainly vastly popular. It'll be a clutch of seven novels and 12 million words. Yanni, do you have anything more recent you think? Oh, um... I would say Guilty Pleasures by Laurel K. Hamilton. And, and I'm going to ask because I wouldn't have picked that book. Why? Um, because that's, that's where you can really trace urban fantasy back to. Well, you can go further back, obviously. There's Interview with the Vampire and, and even more. But I, I would say that was... I remember when that book came out, and I remember it changed all the books that came out after it, whereas the ones that came out previous were few and far between. Okay. Michael, do you have any candidates? So the, let me get this clear. This is more books, recent. Books. More recent. Books. Yeah, that, that, that may could or, or, or should. already have become. You know, I'm you know, taking your, your leaf from your, your book of children's literature. Maurice Sendak's picture books, where the wild things are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, China Miegel, Purdue Street Station. Mm-hmm. That would, that would, I would suggest. Second time best. somebody has chosen mine. Perdido uh, Street well, Station. Well, yeah. this way this time. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to think about that because I had, I had it all picked out. <laughs> okay, uh, first I'll say that uh, um, Song of Ice and Fire, uh, to my humble opinion, will not be canonical. I don't see uh, anything uh, new or uh, um, uh, worth mentioning. Uh, a lot of, it, of this uh, was done before. Uh, is maybe more cruel than other uh, authors, but uh, uh, th- that's it. And uh, I would pick um, uh, Charles de Lint uh, as an optional uh, to become a canonical. Um, and if you ask me to, to uh, point a certain book, I would say some place to be flying. Okay, I, I, I thought of one, uh, partly because you mentioned Charles DeLint and partly because I was thinking of the idea of something that changed the way things were written. Uh, and it's very difficult to say that already, but, um, and this is partly because I was looking at Peter also. I think, I think the, way, the way history has been treated in, fanta- in fantasy narratives has been changed by Guy Gabriel Kay, and I could simply pick out Under Heaven. Yes. Well, see, I'd, you know, I'd have said Tagana, but we can argue later on over over drinks. Well, okay, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we say. But to me, Tagana is going back to the uh, under under heaven is much more recent. So I win. Well, you see, <laughs> what I'd now argue is that having had somebody ask us to talk about canon is really the most useful thing to do with canon. Argue about it in a bar over drinks. It's one of the most useful. Can we do that now? <laughs> well, I, th- I think we will quite shortly. And I'm not being entirely glib. I mean, there is no academy. There is no finite c- canon. We've mm-hmm. talked about that, that already. But, you know, canon formation is the battle of the books. So what better place than a bar to argue yeah. about books? Yeah. I, I would agree. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, we might take a moment because we're getting towards the end of our hour. And even though anybody who might tell us to get out has already gone to dinner because they're smarter <laughs> than us. <laughs> I might ask if there are any questions from the audience. And I'll there come are lots down of questions. The microphone so everybody can actually have a chance of hearing. What's the Daniel Oh, the House of, House of Leaves? Well, it seems to me you nobody's mentioned the two, in my opinion, two most canonical authors in fantasy in the 20th century, Edgar Rice Burroughs and Stephen King in terms of influence and in terms of endurance. Does anyone want to address that? Um, I think you're I right, agree. Rebecca. Tarzan of the Apes itself should be, uh, should be, should be yeah. definitely part yeah, of a, be part of, a, part of a can. Absolutely. 
Hi. Um, I, I thought maybe a, a canon was basically a collection of works that best embody the tropes and and uh, things that we associate with it so that it, it achieves literacy for anyone who reads it. In that. And I wonder if we could have a different canon for readers versus a different canon for writers. Yeah. Hmm. Gary? Yeah, we should. <laughs> but, well, maybe I, not. I think, it's, I think it, may, it may be the case that readers best express canonical, as were, impulses or whatever you want to call it, um, through, through various awards and various, various ceremonies because readers as a, as, a, as, a, as a body are less coherent than even we are. So, well, the, the, so their, yeah. their expressions of, of canon may be more likely to be expressed in terms of awards. Well, but, but one real example, I, was, I, was, I know it sounded like I was joking, but we go back to A Voyage to Arcturus, which so many writers have found things in that they can use, and so many readers find completely unreadable. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering why nobody has mentioned the best-selling fantasy series, best-selling series of all time, Harry Potter. <laughs> Pure ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I don't think Harry Potter is going to stand the test of time. I think, I think Harry Potter is reader canon, but not writer canon. To go well, I, I reviewed the I reviewed the first Harry Potter book when it came out, and I you know I knew nothing about J.K. Rowling, not, you know, and I said you know that she had learned from all these various other writers, you know, Roald Dahl and the school story, and she she managed to put them together all in a marvelous way. But I didn't really think there was that much that was new there. And I could well be dead wrong. And I reviewed the second one, which I thought was a much weaker book than the first one. And after that, I, I never wrote about them again. There was no point. Well, that's all That's all for the good. I agree. It's, it's, it's a it, reader it, canon, perhaps, versus a writer canon. And it, it's, it's not going to inspire writers to say, oh, I'm going to write in response to that. Whereas they'll go back to what yeah. is canon, which inspired Harry Potter, and they'll go back to those books, and that will inspire them most yeah. likely to write. Time will tell. So Time maybe, will tell. Maybe, maybe a reader and writer canonic book, which um, we haven't mentioned often, would be Terry Pratchett, who is yeah. very influential on writers and enormously influential on readers. And pick the color of magic or um, small gods if it has to be a, a single title. Besides the, I do think that Harry Potter is an excellent example. I actually thought of when you asked, can a book be instantly canonical? I thought, oh, yes, by the time that Prisoner of Azkaban came out, the Harry Potter books were solidly in the canon, not just because they're vastly popular. They have inspired not just a generation of writers, directly and indirectly, People like Lev Grossman, who you would not think of as copying children's books, the magician books would not have been written without them. But they spawned an entire industry, not just the Harry Potter industry, but they exploded, explodipated the young adult fantasy market, which could be a passing phase, could only last 20 years, but has already lasted 20 years. And any history of, of fantasy since the 1970s, is going to have to grapple with the, the Harry Potter phenomenon. Just a footnote to that, because I, I started out mentioning things like uh, a, a canon of publishing, which is different from a canon of readers and writers. And yeah, it would certainly be part of that. But you know, like, as I said, Fifty Shades of Grey would be part of a publishing phenomenon canon, I suppose. Yeah. Harry Potter would be definitely on the list of 20 books you have to read. But I'm not sure it it would be on the fantasy canon. But but do, I mean, does it meet the the test of doing something new? I mean, there are a lot of books that have the elements of Harry Potter in them that are already canonical. And I'm thinking about like Diana Wynne Jones, who is canonical, and something like Howl's Moving Castle, which is canonical, and some of her other works. And they carry in them certainly the seeds of Harry Potter. Is there enough new within Harry Potter to push it through? I mean, you're contending at least at well, the moment, probably not. That was that was my 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 initial contention when yeah. I read the first book that there wasn't. Mm -hmm. But um, I confess that you know, unlike everyone else in this room, I only read the first two and I never read any more. Yeah. If I were um, 
to do a new edition of the Encyclopedia of Fantasy. Um, um, Harry Potter, um, Rowling would have a very large entry. But in the, in the way I would conceive of the various reasons for largeness, it, I would not think primarily in terms of the kind of canon we've been, we've been, we've been addressing. But that would not make the books not important in a whole variety of ways. Yeah. But canon has to be, if you're making an argument, you have to have some kind of restrictive terms, else the game of culture, is, it, just, it just dissolves. This is, this is a culture game. And, 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 and culture games have to have some kind of rules, some kind of way in which the Without various the ways we create the Venn diagram actually do um, cohere at some level. Okay. I want to take one last question. Hello. Um, I'm wondering, um, one way of gauging um, whether work is canonical is by the amount of times it's been republished, correct? Well, I'm wondering about the, the short fiction market and the many anthologies out there that republish uh, short fiction. How, like, a, judging from the, the amount of time that, the amount of times that, rather, that a, a short story has been republished in an anthology, how would you gauge what short stories are canonical? Have there been any very influential short stories or some short stories that you know, should probably be taught in a, fan in a fantasy uh, I seminar. Can, I can think of one uh, right off the bat. James Thurber's The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Mm. The Monkey's Paw. The Scale Hunter's Beautiful Daughter. Mm. I mean, I, I would argue there's actually many. That the problem is that they, you know, you have to come, come yeah. to a, an anthology and pull them together and... Mm -hmm. But there's a plethora. Yeah, yeah. The reference work by Ashley and Contento that's a, an index of uh, stories that have been in anthologies. Yeah. And, and you can mm. see it, exactly how many anthologies the monkey's paw have been. So that's a, there's what? a way to... The International Science Fiction Database also provides yeah, well, that. Do that too. Well, with that, I think we're pretty close to the end of our, our time. Peter Hallas has nearly fallen asleep, mm. frankly. <laughs> we, we, we've neatly avoided giving you a concrete list which I think is actually a, a, a greater gift than you realize. I'd like you all to, to thank our, our panelists, Ron Yaniv, Gary Wolf, John Klute, Michael Deirdre, and Yanni Kuznia. Thank you very much. <laughs>